See, when a husband feels disrespected, he has a natural tendency to react in ways that seem unloving to his wife. But when a wife feels unloved, she has a natural tendency to react in ways that seem disrespectful to her husband. Here's what I'm saying. Don't wait until you feel it. Just start doing it. Show a little respect. Peter chapter 3, how do you get a new husband? I don't mean leaving him. I don't mean trading him in for the new model. Uh, I'm talking about what you can do as a woman to help your guy become a new man. It's so great when time has passed and, and you're able to look back at all those memories together. Uh, Kathy and I like to reflect back in our marriage and all the adventures we've had over the decades and sometimes we'll be out having a meal and someone might say, well, how long have you two been married? And we tell them the, their jaw drops to the ground. 50 years, what, you know? They can't believe it. It seems to be such an unusual thing, but it doesn't have to be. It's rare to see a long-term marriage in good condition because a woman marries a man expecting he will change, but he doesn't. A man marries a woman expecting she will never change, but she does. So a word to singles out there, girls. You see some guy, you say, no, this guy, he's a mess, he's trouble, but I'm going to fix him. <laughs> Newsflash, no, you aren't. In fact, he might even get worse. So if you can't love him as he is, maybe you may want to go a different direction. Some women work so hard to make good husbands, they never manage to be good wives. Let's see what the Bible has to say to the woman about being the best wife you can be. First Peter chapter three. Uh, I'm reading verses one to four from the New Living Translation. Wives likewise be submissive to your own husbands, even those who refuse to accept the good news. Your godly lives will speak to them better than any words. They'll be won over by watching your pure godly behavior. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty that depends on fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should be known for the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is so precious to God. So what do we learn here about how to get a new husband? Number one, if you're taking notes, be the best version of you that you can be. Be the best version of you that you can be. This means you want to be a balanced woman. You want to be a godly woman. Every lady should read and carefully study Proverbs 31. For there we find what is described in the Bible as a virtuous woman. Now we sometimes think that the word virtue is a feminine term, only applying to women, but actually it's used of men and women in the Bible. It speaks of purity, strength, force, and value. When we read about this woman of virtue in Proverbs 31, this is a hardworking woman. She's a businesswoman. She's a, a homemaker. She's a great wife. She's a mother. She's a beauty inside 
and out. And you know, the focus of the culture today is almost exclusively on your appearance, isn't it? You know, just look at women's magazines. I subscribe to all of them, and <laughs> I don't. But if you just look at the headlines on Vogue or, or Cosmopolitan or, or whatever, you, you just go, wow. Uh, they seem to only be focused on the outward, never on the inward. It's like, here, find out your horoscope or for, you know, whatever it might be. I just thought, what if Vogue, I came across this issue of Vogue, look at this. Look at it, read the things. What if Vogue came out with an issue, Queen Esther undoing what's right, the value of virtue, how the daily study of scripture can help you grow spiritually in your journey. 20 scriptures on how to have a better marriage and be faithful to your spouse. Can you imagine an issue of Vogue looking like that? You say, Greg, where did you get that? We made it up in the art department. <laughs> because it doesn't exist. Because you'll never find a Vogue that looks like this unless we have a spiritual awakening and maybe you will. But I mean, imagine that for a moment. Imagine a woman's magazine, or for that matter, a man's magazine, underscoring and supporting biblical values instead of undermining them. Well, that's the focus of the culture. So much emphasis on how you look, and that's been amplified a thousand times more by social media. Uh, you know, I wanna look this way. You know, plastic surgery is bigger than it's ever been. $16 billion is spent on plastic surgery every year. That's in Newport Beach alone. <laughs> it's even more in Beverly Hills. Um, now when you mention getting Botox, no one even raises an eyebrow. <laughs> right? <laughs> because their eyebrows are already raised. <laughs> Did you get Botox? No. Furrow your brow right now. I am. <laughs> yeah. Heard about a plastic surgery addict support group that meets weekly. There's a lot of new faces in the group every week. So <laughs> now, I know all the, all the cosmetic surgery people are hating me. They're like, I hate you. <laughs> uh, no, but here's the thing. I'm not making light of it. Hey, you wanna get plastic surgery, get it, you know? Botox, have at it, whatever. That's not my point. What I'm saying is the Bible is not saying neglect the outward. It's saying primarily focus on the inward. Look at verse three of 1 Peter 3. Don't let your adornment be merely outward. The word adornment is from the Greek word cosmos. Guess what word we get from that? Cosmetic, of course. So here's what he's saying. Don't major on externals while ignoring the inside. When he says putting on fine apparel, it means a frequent changing of clothes with the purpose of impressing people. There's nothing wrong with having beautiful clothes, ladies. There's nothing wrong with being an attractive woman. But don't be so obsessed with that you neglect the inward altogether. That is the focus. Well, should a Christian woman wear makeup? Hey, if a house needs painting, <laughs> paint it. That's not the issue. The issue is preoccupation. See, if I'm preoccupied as a woman, and for that matter, a man, 
with my appearance and I completely neglect the internal and the spiritual, my life is out of balance. First Timothy 4, 8 says, physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for this life and the life to come. So, but it does say physical training has some value, right? Because someone might be really out of shape and they've obviously taken no care on their appearance and you say, hey man, you wanna step up your game a little bit? But, hey man, physical, appear physical appearance is of little value. Yeah, well, whatever, it has some, and you could use a lot of it. <laughs> so maybe you swung too far the other way. Listen, in the name of spirituality, which isn't spirituality at all, well, I'm not into those things. Well, maybe you need to be into them a little more. Take a little better care of your physical body and of the way that you look. But however, you can go too far the other way. So it's finding the balance. And not every girl's a beauty queen. Not every man is a male model, as I am. Um, <laughs> no, I'm not. No, I didn't even need to say no, I'm not. Why did I even say that? <laughs> no, I'm not, yeah. Yeah, we knew, Greg, we knew. We got, that, that was a joke. That's why we laugh, get a grip. But here's what it's saying to girls. Develop your mind and your heart as well as your appearance. The godly woman is known for wisdom as well as beauty. Proverbs 31 says, when she speaks, her words are wise. And she gives instructions with kindness. Charm is deceptive, beauty does not last, but a woman that fears the Lord will be greatly praised. Again, 1 Peter 3, the beauty that comes from within. So just be the best you that you can be. You know, if you want to be a happy person, it's going to require that you stop doing some things and start doing other things. Psalm 1 tells us about the happy man or the blessed man. It says, he doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful. That's what he doesn't do. But what he does do is he meditates in the word of God day and night. And here's the promise. If you do this, you'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water you'll bring forth fruit in your season. Whatever you do will prosper. Stop some things, start other things. As one person put it, an old preacher from the 1700s, it's the expulsive power of a new affection. The expulsive power of a new affection. When you love Jesus with all of your heart, you will in turn not want to do those things that will keep you from him. Number two, this is a big one, girls. Respect your man. First uh, Peter 3 again, wives, be submissive to your own husbands. And even if some do not obey the word, without a word they may be won. Underline that, without a word they may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste and respectful conduct accompanied by fear. R-E-S-P-E-C-T, that is what he needs from thee. <laughs> now we all know that song, Respect, popularized by Aretha Franklin. She didn't write it, by the way. Might surprise you to know the song was written by a guy. His name was Otis Redding. He's also known for his song, Sitting by the Dock of the Bay. So think of this, this song originally was written by a man from a male perspective. And in the original version of the song, the lyrics are, hey little girl, you're so sweeter than honey. 
and I want to give you all my money. Good start. Um, but then he says, but I want you to give it, give it, give it when I come home. Respect when I want it. Respect when I need it. Respect, got to have it. Sock it to me, sock it to me, sock it to me, sock it to me, right? That's it. Here's what he's saying, girl. Give me some respect when I come home. He was onto something. This is what the Bible says. Listen, wives, to win your husbands means you need to respect them. Ephesians 5.33 says, nevertheless, that every one of you in particular love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I want you to think about this for a moment. The Bible specifically says to husbands, love your wives. And it specifically says to women, respect your husband. That does not mean that wives don't need respect, nor does it mean that husbands don't need love. But what it does mean is specific instructions are given to men and women. So why don't you quit focusing on what he's supposed to do, girls, and focus on what you're supposed to do. And guys, quit focusing on what she's supposed to do and you make sure you're doing your part. Respect your husband. Uh, Dr. Emerson Egeriches writes in this excellent book, Love and Respect, these words, quote, when a husband feels disrespected, it's especially hard to love his wife. When a wife feels unloved, it's especially hard to respect her husband, end quote. That's really true. See, when a husband feels disrespected, he has a natural tendency to react in ways that seem unloving to his wife. But when a wife feels unloved, she has a natural tendency to react in ways that seem disrespectful to her husband. Here's what I'm saying, don't wait until you feel it, just start doing it. Show a little respect. I heard about a woman who was having problems with her husband. She decided to divorce him. So she went down to an attorney and said, I wanna divorce my husband, but even more, I wanna hurt him. I want this to be painful, what do you suggest? And the attorney said, I've got an idea. I want you for the next three months to smother your husband with affection. Tell him how wonderful he is, how handsome he is, how hardworking he is, how much you appreciate him, how much you respect him. Make him what he wants to eat. Just, just make his life wonderful. Do that for three months and then just tell him, I'm divorcing you. He won't know what hit him. She said, okay. And so every day she'd get up and tell her husband she loved him. Tell her husband... Uh, she respects him. Over and over again, three months later, the attorney calls, says, okay, let's get this party started. Let's file this lawsuit. She says, lawsuit? We're going on our second honeymoon. <laughs> Listen, girls, guys aren't that complex. We really aren't. Just a little respect. Is <laughs> hey, respect you. Well, thank you. I'll give you all my money. Honey, what can I do for you? Yes, clear biblical principle. So number one, let your beauty be inward, but don't forget the outward. Number two, respect and honor your husband. Number three, focus on actions over words to influence your husband. Focus on actions over words to influence your husband. First Peter 3, 1. Likewise, wives, be submissive to your husbands. And by the way, this is speaking of a non-believing husband. 
And even if some do not obey the word, they without a word will be won by the conduct of their wives. So maybe I'm talking to a lady here that's married to a non-believing man. I don't know how you got yourself into that situation. Maybe when you married, neither one of you were believers and then you became a Christian, but he didn't. And you want him to come to the Lord. You're thinking, how can I convert my husband? I know, I'll preach a sermon to him every single day. That's not what the Bible tells you to do. Or you might say, well, I'm gonna dump him because the Lord spoke to me the other day and said, oh, my daughter, dump your dog husband and marry that sensitive Christian man you met at church. No, God didn't say that. Here's what God said, 1 Peter 3. If you're with a non-believing man, you can win him over by the way that you live. Less criticism, more encouragement. Less preaching, more praise. Less talk, more walk. Less sermons, more sandwiches. <laughs> I told you guys are not that complex. You know, it's been said the way to one man's heart is through his stomach. Now that's, you know, it can be overly simplistic, but you make him a great meal. You tell him you love and respect him. Girl, listen, that will go a long ways, further than you may think. Oh no, I'll preach to him. I will nag him into the kingdom of God. <laughs> no, you will not. You'll drive him away. That's what you'll do. And this is what Peter is saying. A translation of what he says here, one is, translation is, the silent preaching of a lovely wife. Peter's saying the key to reach a man is not through words, but deeds. Not telling him, but showing him, because actions speak louder than words. You live the godly life, and the Lord will do the changing. And I know Christian wives who have been married to non-believing guys, and They've applied this principle and it doesn't happen necessarily overnight. In some cases it took a decade, maybe two decades, and then one day, boom, the guy comes around. And now they have a wonderful, happy marriage and they're so glad they live by what the scripture said. Do it without a word. I don't think I'm overstating it when I say in general women are more verbal than men. Would we agree on that? I, I, studies have been done, I don't know how they do it, but they said, an average woman speaks uh, 20,000 words a day. A man about 7,000. <laughs> That's not quite as many. So women are more verbal in general. And uh, a woman in general is more of a persuader through what she says. Uh, given over to God, this can be a powerful tool. Think of Queen Esther persuading the king, to spare the lives of her people, the Jews. That's feminine persuasion at its best. Think of Eve with Adam at the garden, encouraging him to, him to eat the forbidden fruit. That, that's feminine persuasion at its worst. Listen, ladies, say what you have to say. Men, listen to what they say. Proverbs 31, 30 says, when she speaks, her words are wise, and she gives instructions with kindness. But now, ladies, avoid the temptation to nag. It doesn't help. It actually can make things worse. Proverbs 20, 19, 13 says, a nagging wife is like a constant dripping. Mm. You ever have a faucet that drips in the night, and you get out of bed, we're gonna turn that thing off. Right, that's what nagging is like. Scolding, complaining. 
that will drive him away. Proverbs 21, 19 says, better to dwell on a housetop than with a brawling, quarreling, disagreeing, scolding woman. This has been said and I like it. The wife who handpicks her husband is likely to find him listening to some other chick. Come on, that's good. The wife who hints, you get it? Henpeck chick, little plain words, the birds. If she henpecks her husband, she'll find him listening to another chick. Whatever, you're hard to please, aren't you? <laughs> they liked it better in Riverside. I don't know what your problem is. Maybe it's the Botox, I'm kidding. Now I've turned everyone against me. But I can't tell because your eyebrows are lifted like that. You look happy, so I think I'm okay, I don't know. Here's point number four. Submit, this is all you're gonna remember are all these stupid <laughs> jokes. Uh, submit to the leadership of your husband. Now this is where a lot of girls choke. Submit to the leadership of your husband. First Peter three, this is King James, likewise, wise, be submissive to your own husbands, and even if some do not obey the word, they without a word will be won by the conduct of their wives while the, they observe your chaste and respectful conduct accompanied by fear. Some women bristle at this because they don't understand it. They see it as sort of, well, really, Paul's sort of a chauvinist, okay? Misogynistic. And you know, I'm better than women and we're over women. No, you're, you got it all wrong, okay? If you know anything about the culture Paul was writing to, you would realize it's the opposite. The Bible and Christianity elevated the woman. Back in this culture, Romans treated wives like objects. You could discard them at will, divorce them for no real reason. Even in some aspects of the Jewish culture, a woman could be divorced for any reason. Okay, so when Paul says to men, love your wife as Christ loves the church, that's a game changer. Put her needs above your needs. Love her as Jesus loves the church. Sacrifice for her. Serve her. Whoa. Wives, be submissive to your husbands. Hold on. Before he says wives should submit to their husbands and husbands should love their wives, Ephesians 5 says be submissive one to another in the reverence of God. So we just start off there. I'm gonna put your needs above my needs. Again, back to selflessness instead of selfishness. Listen, as far as a man and a woman go, they stand on equal ground before God because of the death of Jesus on the cross. Men are not better than women. <laughs> women are not better than men. We're not better than each other, but we're very different from each other. And Galatians 3.28 says there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. We're all one in Christ. But then I would point this out. Though there is no difference between men and women in the nature of their salvation or standing before God, the husband has the God-given responsibility to provide for, protect, and lead just as the Lord does the church. And the wife is to submit graciously to the servant leadership that the husband provides. Just as the church submits willingly to Jesus, the wife does the same. Now, <laughs> what about if the husband asks the wife to do something she doesn't wanna do? Well, let's try to figure out what that might be. If it's maybe to make you a meal you don't wanna make or do something, that's one thing, but if it's unbiblical, or illegal or immoral, certainly you're not required to submit 
to that. Actually, Colossians 3.18 says, Wives, be subject to your husbands as it is fit in the Lord. So if the husband were to ask you to do something that's not fit in the Lord, you're not required to submit to that. For instance, we're told to submit to the ordinance of men for the Lord's sake and to the king and to governors and those who are in authority. So we submit to the government. By that I mean if the officer pulls up behind us and turns on the lights, we pull over, we comply. If uh, it comes time to pay our taxes, though they're too high and so much of our money is wasted, we pay our taxes. And by the way, if you don't like it, register and vote. This is a big problem we have today. We need to get out there and vote. There's a lot of things I don't like about our government right now. A lot of things I don't like about what's happening in the state of California. A lot of things I have very strong opinions on. So the place where I can express that is at the ballot box. But listen to this. If the government suddenly passes a law that says, you can no longer pray, do I obey that law? The answer is no. If the government says you can no longer preach the gospel, do I obey that law? No, I'm gonna do what God tells me to do. Maybe God has spoken to your heart and you have seen your need for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came from heaven to this earth. He was born in a manger he died on a cross. He rose again from the dead. Why? Because he loves you. And he wants a relationship with you. Listen, I'm not talking about religion. I don't want to be a religious person. I don't think you want to be one either. I'm talking about relationship with God. Jesus, who died and rose again, stands at the door of your life and he knocks and he says, if you'll hear his voice and open the door, he will come in. Question. Have you asked Jesus Christ to come and live inside of you? You might say, well, I, I think so, I'm not sure. Hey, if someone moved into your house in the middle of the night, do you think you would be aware of it? I'm sure you would. And in the same way, if Christ has come to live inside of you, you will know. And if you don't know, maybe he has not come in yet. He's just a prayer away. All you need to do is say, Jesus, I want this relationship with you. I want you to forgive me of my sin. I want to go to heaven when I die. Would you like to do that? Would you like Christ to come into your life? If so, why don't you just pray this simple prayer with me? You can pray it out loud or you can pray it in the quietness of your heart. But this is a prayer where you're asking Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord. Pray this with me now. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, but I know that you're the Savior who died on the cross for my sin and rose again from the dead. Now come into my life. I choose to follow you from this moment forward. Thank you for hearing this prayer and answering this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Did you just pray that prayer with me? If so, I want you to know in the authority of scripture that Christ himself has come to live inside of you. And let me be the first to say to you, congratulations and welcome to the family of God.